Open your Bibles, please, to Job chapter 7. Job chapter 7. What will serve as our text today is found in verses 17 and 18. Uh, Job is answering Eliphaz the Temanite. And here, in a sense, he addresses God and says in verses 17 and 18, What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? In light of seeking to recover a robust doctrine of creation, we looked last Sunday at the question, what does it mean to be a human being? And I suggested that one's view of the telos of things affects how you answer this question. If, in fact, you see the telos, the end, the purpose, where everything is headed is death, then, in fact, um, to be a human means to be a consumer. If we view death as the telos of all things, then we should understand what scripture says about death. And that is that it is taking and keeping. To use another word, consuming. In a consumerist culture, such as the one we live in, we find that we are consumers, but we are also being consumed and we are consuming others. One has but to read the scriptures, particularly in Deuteronomy and the Prophets, we hear it from Jesus and Paul. To know that when we are involved in unjust patterns of consumption, we are in fact consuming others. We are feeding on others. We are devouring other human beings. We are cannibals. We consume their lives by the way we live our lives. The message of Deuteronomy and the prophets Jesus and Paul, is that God will not, in fact, tolerate injustice because it is contrary to the telos of life. This is not what God has intended. Remember that death is taking and keeping, whereas life is giving and receiving. Injustice destroys our lives and it destroys the lives of others. But justice is not some... It's not merely some arbitrary set of rules, like do this and don't do that, as though somehow God is in heaven trying to see how high we will jump. Justice is the order of things, and it is an order that is pointing toward what God intends for us, and that is for us to flourish, for his creation to flourish. So what are we to do? We looked at this last week. We we live in a consumer society, Like it or not, I think that affects much of our thinking. So what are we to do? As I said last week, we must repent. We must turn away from an economy of consumption to an economy of communion. But what does this mean, an economy of communion? I think that our repentance, in our repentance, we must turn and we must change from becoming consumers to becoming communers, those who consume to those who commune. And we begin where the economy of communion is celebrated, where it is memorialized. It is the Lord's Supper. You see, in the Lord's Supper, we learn that life is not sustained by competition and consumption. 
life is sustained by gift and by communion. This past week, as I was reviewing this and thinking this through, I was like, well, if all of this is true, why is it that so many Christians view what it means to be human as being a consumer? They don't see death as the end of all things. They don't see death as the telos. And yet, in many ways, they live like people who do see death as the end of the story. And why is this? You know, Christians believe in the resurrection. I read an extended passage today from 1 Corinthians 15. We believe that we will spend eternity with God. So why is it that we are consumers? Why is it that we believe a different story, but we're acting as though we're in the story of death? Well, I think the answer is because what we see as coming after death is not what scripture teaches, but rather something that is rather ethereal, floating on clouds, playing harps, and and nothing connected at all to this reality. The The existence that they see beyond death is not the new creation. It's something altogether different. So in many ways... Death is the telos for them. It is the end of this story. And then after death, we begin another story. But that's not what we've seen in this series. That God created the world, and yes, there was in fact a disaster, but God is in the process of redeeming his creation. Even if there had not been that disaster, however, God's creating the world was only the beginning, and it had a purpose, it had an end, and that is the new creation. So the tradition I was raised in, at least, uh, we were looking for the second coming as sort of marking the end of things, at least to a certain degree. And this world was seen merely as the stage of redemption. And those of you who are involved in theater know that when a production is finished, you break down the stage and you get ready for the next production. Well, no, God is not only redeeming us, he is redeeming all of his creation And so I think for many Christians, creation simply becomes nature or the environment. It provides us with natural resources to do the things that we want to do. We may fail to see the gospel or the good news as God doing something in history. Something that has consequences, not just for us individual human beings who are Christians, but for all of his creation. And as a result, if we are not careful, we live just like those who embrace a telos of death. We see ourselves primarily as consumers. I hope that it has become clear in this series that creation and redemption cannot be separated. They are connected. They have the same end, the same purpose, the same telos. That is the new creation. If, in fact, we reject the telos of death, If we say, no, no, death is not the end of the story. um, Then when we answer the question, what does it mean to be a human being? We come up with something that is radically different. We do not see ourselves primarily as consumers. That's what I want us to consider today. What does it mean to be a human being if, in fact, rejecting the telos of death, we believe that God's purpose is the new creation? As we begin, we should be very clear about something. 
the incarnation, Jesus coming into the world, is the act that most clearly reveals to us what it means to be a human being. That is to say, if someone were to say to you, what does it mean to be a human being? The place to begin is with Jesus of Nazareth. God coming in the flesh and living as a human being. This means that Christology, to use a theological term, the theology that is primarily concerned with the nature and person of Jesus, is where we should begin our doctrine of anthropology, what it means to be a human being. If we do this, if we begin with the person of Jesus, then our doctrine of what it means to be human will be located within the story of the redeeming of creation, because this is why Jesus came. So what does it mean to be human? If we see the telos of all things as being the new creation, then to be human is to be a person. It's like, well, that's fine. What does it mean to be a person? What is personhood? I would suggest to you that many things we could talk about, but the beginning, when we think of being and becoming a person, it begins with dependence upon God. That we depend upon God. We do not achieve personhood. We receive it and we participate in it. That's why we can speak of being and becoming a person. But one might ask, and I certainly, as I began to prepare for this sermon, ask, why do you speak of becoming a person? Aren't we already persons? I mean, you're talking as though we're not, we're humans, but we're not persons. Aren't we already persons? I think the answer to that lies in the issue of the redeeming of creation. Somehow, I think in our thinking, we are convinced that we come into this world and, and we're fine. Okay, we need to get saved. You know, we need to have our sins forgiven and all that. But otherwise, we're just, we're fine. We are who we should be. Which completely sets aside the whole business of redemption. See, for many people, I think redemption is getting your card stamped or punched or whatever so you get to go to heaven. Redemption is, in fact, God not only working at a certain point, but continuing to work in our lives and transforming us into persons. You see, the telos of human beings is also being redeemed. And what is it that God wants from us? What is it his purpose? Where is this all going? It is life in the new creation. But life for humans in the new creation is obviously different than it is for the rest of creation. And we saw this again in First Corinthians 15 today, that, that all things are not the same. You know, that, that humans are different from animals, who are different from birds, who are different from fish. Um, what sets us apart as human beings is that we are being and becoming persons. The proper way to describe a human being is to call him or her a person. This is what God intends for us. Let me put it this way. When humans are taken from the story of the fallen world, into the story of the new creation, when we go from the story of death 
the path of death to the story of life, then we are persons. We're simply persons. It is through the work of Jesus Christ that we are being and becoming persons. We die to the old story of death and live to the new story of life that is pointing to the new creation. And this aligns us with God's intention. This is what God intended all along, that with Adam and Eve, they were without sin, but they were not perfect. They were not complete. God put them in Eden so they could learn certain things, but it was not as though once they graduated, then they knew everything. That God's purpose for us all along has been, there's been a beginning, sort of a middle, and there's an end. And God's purpose for us is that we would become the persons he intends us to be. Using theological language, the beginning of this process we would call justification. When we are justified, we are brought onto the path of life. And now by God's grace, and only by God's grace, are we able to walk on the path and be sustained, begin to live in it. And again, to use theological language, we would say we are being sanctified. This means that once we are in the right story or on the right path, that we are both declared righteous and made righteous. Righteous is one of those words that is, I think, really misunderstood and scary enough to sort of scare people off. Righteousness means a proper alignment with God's redeeming of creation. God has a purpose. And by God's grace, when he calls us out of death into life, into righteousness, then we are in alignment with God's purposes. And we are being and becoming persons. To be a person, to become a person, is to participate in God's redemption of creation. And in this participation, we leave behind the rule of death and we enter into the rule of life. And as such, we reflect the life of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in ways that we appreciate what it means to be human. We become persons as we grow in the belief that life is from God, it is for God, and it is to God. And as we learn this, and as our conviction by God's grace deepens, we learn that we should not fear death, that we do not need to save our own lives, that we do not need to protect ourselves from all other things. Being and becoming a person means something quite different on this path versus the path of death. See, on the path of death, the culture that surrounds us, being and becoming a person means independence, means being self-sufficient, powerful, protected. I am a person. By the way, a side note, I think in many ways the church living in a culture of death has taken on many aspects of that culture but has somehow baptized them or Christianized them without recognizing what they have done. We have spiritualized things like self-sufficiency and independence 
and make them sound or appear to be biblical. We have managed to buy into the individualized aspect of reality, the privatized, the over-spiritualized, the ahistorical. And as a historian, this is important to me. But as I get older, I think more and more as a Christian, this is important to me. The Bible was written in a particular historical context. But somehow, in a society that does not value history, the church has followed that path, but has somehow justified it without realizing it by seeing the Christian faith in an entirely different way, as seeing it as only for me, as an individual, as something that is in fact private, something that is very spiritual and not really connected to reality, and really has no historical context. And because of this, the church has little or nothing to say to the culture around it. It cannot judge it. It cannot criticize it. It cannot confront it. Because in many ways, the church is guilty of living the exact same way. Of being consumers rather than persons. Of consuming rather than communing. In a different vein, if you think about it, if you take the path of death and live in this culture, many of the people in our culture do not have the means or the resources necessary to be or to become a person. Perhaps because of their own physical disabilities or their circumstances, they don't have access to resources. They just don't, they don't have what our society deems as necessary to become a person. By the way, I would argue that in our society today, what it means to be a person is, is greatly diminished from what it was 50 years ago. I think today to be a person is almost seen as synonymous with being a celebrity. That if people know that you're there, then, then you've, you have arrived, you have become a person. And people who do not have access to becoming a celebrity, for whatever reason, feel that in many ways they cannot become fully a person. There are people who are limited physically by disease or disability. There are others who are limited simply by resources. They don't have the necessities of life, the ability to obtain those necessities. Or it could be because of other impediments, social impediments, race, gender, class, age, whatever. But if you are on the path of life, the story of life leading to the new creation, then you have all that you need to become a person because it is by the grace of God that this happens. Being and becoming a person are about learning, receiving, and giving. That is the life of the one God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And that giving and receiving sustains us not only in this life, but beyond death to the new creation. In the same way that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit live perfectly and eternally in their mutual relations, so we as human beings are to live in the same way. We are brought by God's grace to the telos 
as persons. And to be a person means, in fact, to give and to receive. To live in harmony, perfectly, in our relationships. As a result, or as this is happening, it is possible for us now to affirm the present lives of those who are disabled, those who are diseased, or those who are marginal, at least to the world's way of thinking. And we can look forward with them to the new creation, to know that whatever disability, whatever it is they have now, this is not the end of the story. This is not the whole story. This is not, if you wish, who they will end up being. That God, by his grace in the new creation, will heal them. And we will see them in their perfection. I think for many, their impairment makes more evident to them, makes perhaps more evident to us if we will listen, that what is true of them is actually true of us. You see, if I see somebody who cannot walk, I might have compassion, I might have pity, and I might say, it's too bad that this person is disabled. All the while failing to recognize that apart from the grace of God, I am also disabled. I might be able to walk, but I am also disabled and diseased. It is only by the grace of God, as he gives me new life and sustains me to the new creation, that I have any hope. Humankind is made new as the people of God only, only in our full and continual dependence on others for our lives. We don't like being dependent. We like being independent. It's one of the things that people say is great about being American, that we can be self-sufficient. But those who, in fact, are disabled or diseased, they know full well how dependent they are. And in some sense, they have more insight than we do. I don't want in any way to depreciate the suffering that may come with disease, disability, or being marginalized, or being excluded. While we who may not suffer those things, um, who might be able-bodied and healthy, um, in fact... To be human, to live as a human being, means that we should live in dependence on God and in mutual relations with one another. There is no alternative. There is no alternative or other way to life. If we do not want to be dependent upon God or on each other in relations, in human relations, then there is no other way of life. The only other thing there is, is death. You either live in life dependent upon God and in relation with one another as human beings, or you go to the other path, and that path is death. We become persons as we learn the mystery of life. Jonathan Wilson, who has written on this, and who's been very helpful in this series on creation, he has suggested that those who are diseased, disabled, or marginalized may know it, that is the mystery of life, before others do. They have learned, they have come to learn, that neither disease nor disablement, neither oppression nor marginalization, 
is an impediment to becoming a person in creation being redeemed. In some ways they see far more clearly than we do. Having said that, I don't want to romanticize the, the circumstances or their circumstances or their suffering. In the same way that I would not say that those who are poor have a, a greater advantage to God's grace than those who are rich. There are those who suffer from these various things who, like us, may long for independence and self-sufficiency. Those who are poor may be just as enslaved by money or the desire for money than those who actually have money. You don't have to have money to be enslaved to money. In the disability rights in this country, there is a push for independence, for self-sufficiency, for equal access, and more. There is almost an insistence that the government and others have a responsibility to provide the things that will allow a disabled person to be just like everyone else, to be a fully functioning human being to be a pedestrian, if you wish, to be a shopper, to be able to do what everyone else does. And in this movement, by the way, there is a rejection of the notion of charity. You know, those who in society who have money, who have extra money, who are able-bodied, who want, in fact, to help those who do not, those who do not have those things say, no, thank you, uh, we don't want your charity. This is something that you, in fact, owe us. However, for all of this, there is an aspect of disability. We might even say being marginalized or excluded in society. For which no amount of government programs could, in fact, make you independent or self-sufficient. And here we're thinking of those who have mental or intellectual disabilities, whether it be autism or cerebral palsy or Down syndrome, those who require care, who will always require care, who will never be self-determining, perhaps will never rise to the level of being able to articulate themselves, but they are still human beings. As God's people, if in fact we are to see clearly our telos as persons in the new creation, this is what God intends for us, then we should, by God's grace, see through the longings we have for independence and self-sufficiency. And we do not have to wait for the healing and wholeness of the new creation. The reality of being and becoming a person has already begun in our lives in Jesus Christ. We are not made persons by healing and wholeness. We are made persons in Jesus Christ. And the process has already begun. We may have not been aware of it because we have, we're still living as though we're in the culture of death and we have forgotten that we, in fact, are on the path of life. In the new creation, all things will be made whole. All will be healed. In Jesus Christ, uh, 
we will be fully the persons that we were created to be. I said earlier that our theology of anthropology, what it means to be human, must begin and rest on Christology, the theology of the nature and person of Jesus. I would suggest to you that we need to go back and read or reread the Gospels and discover the person that Jesus was. Perhaps beginning with what we read in Luke chapter 2, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And then as we read through the Gospels, consider his relations with others, that he needed their company. Thinking of the last night at Golgotha, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he faced Golgotha, Jesus leaves the eight behind, but he takes three more disciples with him. And finally, he does, in fact, separate himself from them, but he needs their company. And we see, if you read correctly, his dependence upon the Father and the Spirit, being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, we are told. And we read of his communion with the Father. For me, at least, in my view, I see this in Jesus' time in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan. And what are the temptations that Satan presents to him? The first one is be a consumer. Take these natural resources and turn them into bread. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. To eat would not have been a sin. But the notion that you are a consumer, turn stones to bread and consume them. The second temptation is to treat God as a resource, not as someone you have communion with. Jump off the temple and God will send the angels and they will grab you up. You won't won't hurt yourself. The idea that the Father is someone that you have a deep, intimate, communing relationship is out the window. It's all about snap your fingers and God will take care of you. And finally, the third temptation, avoid the need, avoid the need of human relations. As I was younger, when I was younger, I used to think that the third temptation was the most ridiculous temptation. I mean, why would Jesus ever bow down and worship Satan? That, To me, that just didn't make any sense. As I've gotten older, that, to me, was the strongest of the three temptations. Because, in essence, what Satan is saying to Jesus is, are you serious? Do you want to spend three years with these people? Do you want to spend three years with people who will, one will betray you, one will deny you, These people who will not listen, who will not believe you, who look only for your miracles. Why do you want to deal with human beings? Just worship me and there you go. And the temptation is avoid human relations at all costs possible. If we want to know what it means to be a person, we look at the person of Jesus. And we see someone who is not a consumer, but someone who communes with the Father. We've talked about this in the past. Doesn't it strike you that Jesus spent all night in prayer? It's like, all night in prayer? Are you kidding? I mean, five or ten minutes, I'm wiped out. I mean, what's, because he's communing with the Father. And again, the older I get, the more I'm struck by how Jesus hung out with people. 
He had relations with people. He ate with sinners. He touched lepers. That's what it means to be a person. And unfortunately, if we do not have a strong, sound doctrine of creation, we will lose that. Because we will think that after we die and the resurrection, then we're all going to be walking in streets of gold and floating on clouds playing harps. And the idea that somehow there is a connection when God created the world in the beginning and what is going on at the end, we don't have that. But the whole purpose of things is the new creation. But the process has already begun. Redemption has already begun. We are being and we are becoming persons because of the work of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I suspect that we imagine that we are born into this world as persons and we have everything that we need. And the idea that we are dependent upon you or that we need one another seems somewhat foreign to us. We like the idea of not needing other people. And if we would be honest, we like the idea of not needing you. We don't want to be dependent. But to be a person is to be dependent. When Jesus came into the world, he was dependent upon you. He did not live as a consumer, but as one who communed with his father. And one who had deep personal relations with other people. We who are your people in this place, in this church, may we take this to heart. That you are calling us to be and to become persons like the Lord Jesus. Apart from your grace, this is not possible. And apart from one another, this is not possible as well. I thank you that you've called us together today to worship you. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.